You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Um, so, we have a little gift for them. We give them a, a, a Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, if you don't know about that uh, Bible, it's a great, great um, tool um, for, uh, for uh, families uh, raising their kids. And um, so, we're really blessed to be able to do that. So, um, do we have children's ministry? Okay. Okay, the, the sprinters, that's up to pre-K and kindergarten, so the kids can go to children's ministry. I know, see, they're, they're reluctant now because they know I'm going to say, well, wait a minute, we've got to pray for them. So as they go, Heavenly Father, we thank you for our children. Thank you, Lord, for um, a house full of uh, joy and noise uh, and potential, Lord, and I thank you for the future, Lord, that's before us. I just pray that you would raise up a generation that's up for the task, Lord, um, that this world is going to need and require in the days and the years to come. Thank you for how you have raised up leadership in this house, Lord, and I pray that you would do that even in the lives of these children, Lord, uh, from, their, um, from their childhood, Lord, um, that they would uh, seek not just to uh, what they can experience, Lord, but also seek what they, in ways that they can serve um, you and, and this community. And uh, bless everybody who's working with our kids today, Lord. Uh, give them just that extra measure of patience uh, and discernment and wisdom um, to be able to minister the gospel to our kids. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, this morning, um, my son Caleb is going to bring uh, the word. So let's give him a good welcome as he comes to share. hear me? Got a microphone? Good morning. We are, I was playing, pulling a little bit of double duty. Oh, thanks. Back there helping out at the sound booth. We're uh, um, feeling the absence of Rob and Tinder and their family this morning, and uh, we joined them in mourning for uh, the loss of Rob's father, Roger, and um, so Roger and was a part of this body previously before they moved back to Michigan, and um, we just want to, if you, if you know them, if you can, reach out to them this week and make sure that they know that you're thinking about them and that you're praying for them, and um, let's just pause here really quick and, and pray for the Tim Brink family. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, the gift to TCF that Rob and Tinder are, and thank you for their family. Uh, that is a blessing to us in many incredible ways, Lord God, and the things that you've shown us through them. And thank you for the godly heritage uh, that was begun uh, with Roger and with their family, Lord God, and that was brought down through them. Thank you for um, the way that your kingdom works, Lord Jesus, by building up uh, people who serve 
uh, by bringing them into the body and by making them vital and important parts of it. And we mourn with the Tim Brinks um, this week, Lord God. We pray comfort and peace over them. And uh, we just ask that you would be very near to them, Lord God, that you would be very near to their hearts and that you would, um, that you would fill them up, Lord God. Pray for the time of uh, fellowship that they have together with the family up there, that you would make that meaningful and deep, Lord God, uh, that your spirit would be present, Lord Jesus, and that, um, that you would be glorified in these circumstances. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So, um, really loud. I turned myself up really loud because I thought, I don't know where the headset level goes anyway. So, uh, Dave will take care of us so I don't blow you out here. But I might start shouting. I don't know. I might get a little bit uh, excited. Um, but I was thinking for the last couple of weeks um, after... I was given the opportunity to preach kind of like I was thinking, you know, what should I preach on? And I was kind of like waiting for God to sort of reveal this, you know, like really big and powerful um, message to me. And so I kind of waited and waited and waited. And, you know, when I'm, whenever I'm sitting, I don't know if you guys are this way. It's probably all very self-important of me. But whenever I'm sitting there listening to a sermon, I'm always thinking about the sermon. I'm always connecting like these um, you know, making connections in the word and like in my experience over the past week and sort of like tying in these pop culture events and thinking about how like, you know, timely and stuff this is when I'm, when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about that. And, um, <laughs> and I'm always thinking, not that I could do a better job, but that like, yeah, I really do have something really important to offer. And then I'm, you know, like I've got this really great perspective or something. And, um, and then when it kind of comes time to actually share, it's kind of like, uh, well, um, I don't know kind of where to start from. So I asked dad, I was like, is there any kind of in particular, you know, subject that you want me to talk about? He said, no, just wide open, kind of whatever. We're at the end of our series here. And I'm like, yeah, but like any, you know, particular, no, just whatever. So um, we, we've actually been doing this Bible study. There's a handful of guys um, that I'm connected with here at TCF that use the version Bible app. Any of you guys use the version Bible app? Um, a new feature, or maybe relatively new in the last like five years they've added, is the ability to do devotionals with, with people. So you, like, you can share a devotional, and um, people can, you can read through the devotional and sort of comment on like, what God is speaking to you that day. So I would really encourage you, if, you, uh, if you're looking for a way uh, to make um, daily Bible reading an important part of your walk, and maybe you're, you're kind of looking for a, maybe a little bit of support or accountability there's a lot of great resources and books that can kind of open up the Word of God to you and make it really vital and important, but I don't think there's anything that is more uh, vital and real than studying the Word of God with people that know you and that are committed to God working in your life. And so that's why I would really encourage you, if you're not doing that, start a devotional. Invite somebody to join you along with it. There's like five-day devotionals, like 40-day devotionals. There's like read through the Bible in, the year, in a year. So any length of time, you know, that you want to commit to spending with another person focusing on the Word of God. It's a fantastic resource. Uh, it's been really good for Emily and I. It's not a, this is not an advertisement for the U version, but it is just a way that I want to encourage you guys to make use of something that's available to you. Even Emily and I have done uh, probably more Bible study uh, collectively over the last um, several months that we've been doing this just reading the passage and commenting on it and talking about how God is using this in our lives and the lives of our children just by doing these devotionals together. So it's a great way, great way to do that, and I would encourage you to do that. Anyways, we've been talking through in this devotional with a handful of other guys um, the book of James. And uh, so what I want to bring to you today, um, I can't really tell you specifically that it will you know, like impact you, but I can that it, tell you that it will be very timely and right on point for me today. And so, like, I hope you can, can get in the way of that and maybe get something out of it additionally. Uh, but here's the thing that I know, that as long as I taught youth group four for, you know, about 13 years, here's the thing that I know is that, like, 
no matter what I thought I was bringing to the message or the sermon series or whatever, um, what really makes the impact is when God shows up. He is always faithful to make his word impactful to our heart and hit us um, right where we're at. So the Bible even says it's like a, a two-edged sword that cuts right to the heart. And so we, we trust that God is able to do that in that. We, we know that he will. So anyways, with all that said, today what I'm talking about is the idea put forth in James about uh, progress over perfection, okay? And so uh, James, just a, an, an idea about like why we're talking about James. James, the book, is, is really impactful for a couple of different reasons. First of all, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, the book of James was written, as best we can tell, somewhere between 30 and 40 A.D. So the book was written in the 40s, right? Like not the 1940s or like the 1040s, but like the 40s, the, the zero 40s. And so it was very close to the time that Jesus died and was crucified. And so it's a very trustworthy, like we know the Bible is, but it's a very trustworthy uh, message. And the other thing about James being the half-brother of Jesus, I mean, think about your brother, right? And think about if he had claimed that he was God, <laughs> right? You would probably be most well-suited, besides maybe uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, being the brother of Jesus would put you in a unique position to be able to say, you know what, all of this that this guy is talking about is A, either eternally true and very impactful, or it's complete hogwash. And we know that James actually went through, you know, sort of a series of, 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 of growing in his understanding of who Jesus was, because we were told a story about uh, when, when Mary and Jesus' brothers go to him, and they're like, you got to stop doing what you're doing, and they try to convince him to stop doing that. So we know from the time that that happened until the book of James was written, that something very impactful happened. And I would submit to you that the thing that was very impactful to James was the obviously the death, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's probably what it would take on my behalf for me to believe that my brother was the son of God. Um, but, but, James, but James actually experienced that. And we know from the way that he introduces himself in the very first ch uh, chapter in the first verse of James is that he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here he is, the brother of Jesus Christ, and he's referring himself to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. So obviously, there's been some perspective change there, and so I think that that's why these things are trustworthy and true, and we can, um, we can really rely on them. So I'm going to try to cover my notes here and not get too off, off point, but that's really difficult for me because I like kind of flying from the seat of my pants. Um, but Continuing on, this idea um, of James being both the brother of Jesus and the servant of Jesus um, introduces the whole idea of tension in our relationship with God, in our walk with God. And I think that this tension is, is really critical. So he talks about several um, subjects where he covers that are intentions, like the idea of suffering and comfort, the idea of hearing and doing. Um, the idea of faith and works, and both of these things being vitally important, but also having to work together in a way uh, that, is, that makes a difference in our lives. So I've just recently um, read a book by a friend and, and pastor um, named Jason Haig. He's actually the, the son of um, Keith and Doreen Haig, who are members here. But he wrote a, a book that kind of discusses this tension, and it's called um, Aching Joy. And it's the idea that um, in life, you know, there's usually sort of two schools of thought, that life can either be uh, sort of all hardness and terrible and tragedy, and we must endure these things, um, and that we will eventually be 
um, taken away to heaven where we can escape all of the hardness and difficulty of life. Or this other idea, which is probably a lot more prevalent in the church today, is that the idea that um, like God is in control and like everything is fantastic and I'm just happy and cheery and no matter what happens, it's all good because all things work together for good and like there's no reason to be sad. And both of those ideas are really too simplistic um, for what God has called us to. It's, it's really too predictable to say that either, oh, this is all bad and I, you know, there's no escape from it or everything is good and everything is in control. But what I think God calls us to and what Jason talks about in this book called Aching Joy is the experience in life that the good things also come right along with the difficult things. And God doesn't intend for us to separate one from the other. He's, there's not one of those sides that's good, but there's this tension in that we walk with God in a type of aching joy and experiencing these really difficult things that are also really full of joy. And I believe that that's what God has called us to. So this idea of tension um, is, is prevalent in James, and it's prevalent in our Christian walk. So as a parent, we experience this tension um, continuously, right? Like your child, you, every single stage in a child's life is like the celebration of joy and sadness, right? So like a lot of people started school this week. Did anybody in here, like your child started school for the first time this year? Like you went to pre-K or kindergarten or something like that? Like, how incredible is that? How awesome is that? But also, there's really, like, some sadness to it, right? Like, they're growing up. So from pregnancy to birth to, uh, to rolling over to sitting up to uh, crawling to walking to being potty trained to, to, to using car seats in the car to, to growing out of diapers, which is, like, a fantastic milestone, right? to we're actually nearly at this place where we have no car seats in the car. And you can't imagine what an incredible joy that is to not have to change this gigantic, you know, hulking mass every time you want to switch cars, right? And so there's some joy in that, but there's also some sadness in it as well. And, and God doesn't call us to only focus on one of those, but God calls us to walk with him in relationship through both of these things. So... The first thing about progress over perfection, the first point that I want to make, well, there's really um, three. I don't know how they use this, actually. Just keep pressing buttons until you get there. Yeah, so the three themes from James that I want to talk about today are, number one, um, embracing the trials. Um, number two, I actually had these out of order. Uh, is progress over perfection. And then the last one is rejecting comfort. And these, th these are ideas that are, uh, that are remarkably, opposed as to, remarkably opposed to what the world um, tells us. So let's just start with uh, embrace the trials. I'm going to read out of James. Can we go back to that verse? There we go. James 5, uh, verse 7 through 12. So I'll read that to you. And it says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained 
steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So there's a whole lot there. There's a lot of different ideas, um, and there's several different themes. But what I want to focus on is right there, the first two words where it says, be patient, therefore, brothers. So when we're talking about embracing trials, we're talking about um, going through hardship, the first encouragement um, that James gives to us is be patient. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me uh, most frequently uh, about my, my lovely children, uh, of which there are five, is that they um, will come up to me right in the middle of something that I'm doing, and they'll be immediately in need of my complete and total attention. And actually, one of the things that, and this is sort of like a side note, one of the things that I, um, I've tried to make a, a habit myself is that when they do come to me, if I'm in the middle of something that I really can't stop, like I'm on a phone call or something like that, then I just tell them to wait a second. But when, when I can give them my full attention, whatever I'm doing, um, like if I, I actually work from home, so this happens all the time. I'll be sitting at my desk at home and they'll run in and be like, there's an emergency, I need some water or something like that. And, and I'll, so what I do is like when they ask for my attention, I'll, the, the most common thing that's in my hand all the time is what? Your cell phone, right? My cell, I've always got my cell phone in my hand or if I'm sitting at my desk, I'm always at my keyboard. I, I very intentionally, I put that down and I like turn to face them. And I want them to know that, that there is nothing that is more important about what I'm doing than me giving them my full attention. And that's not always the case. Obviously, there are some things that I'm doing that are more important, that are work-related or that are church-related or something like that, that are more important. But what I want them to know is that when they require my full attention, I can give them my full attention. And I will give them full attention. Not half attention, not like keep on scrolling, but I'm like, blah, 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 yes, okay. Um, but give them my full attention. And I'm, I'll be the first to tell you, that doesn't happen all the time, but it is something that I'm working on. It is something that I want to do so that my children don't think of me as a dad like this, but as a dad like this, right? That I'm looking at them with both hands and I'm, and I'm, I'm open to receive them. So when my kids are incredibly impatient, they, they require their full, your full attention, and I don't necessarily think that this is their fault, right? Like we live in a culture where everything is instant and it still takes too long, right? Like, the, the, the speed of that we have um, of internet now. I remember, and I'm dating myself here, but I remember when there was one megabit per second internet. Anybody of you guys remember back in these old days? And I remember this guy who was a friend of mine, he, he called up Suddenlink and he was paying something like $150 a month for one megabit internet. And I was like, that is so incredibly fast. Like he was playing um, a game like over the, over the internet. He was playing a game with another person. He was like, this is incredible. There's like no lag in this game at all. I don't know what the technologies that existed before one megabit internet came along, but this was like, now we've finally achieved a speed where we can do all of the things that we want to do without having to wait for dial-up or whatever like that, right? And of course you guys know what happened. Like one megabit per second internet is like, you can't even get that now. Like suddenly the slowest speed they offer now is like 60 times faster than that. Am I right, John? John works for suddenly. Do you know? <laughs> now it's 100. Now it's 100 times faster than it was. This was like in 2002, 2003 or something like that, 
when first when high speed internet came out. Well, actually, when that came out, that was before HD video even existed. That was before YouTube even existed. So we couldn't even imagine like the amount of like how fast we would need these things to be back in the day. But we've trained ourselves to just be immediate. Like we need things immediately. We need this web page to load immediately. We need our order to be served immediately. I mean, look at Chick Fil A, like as an icon of food service. Okay, Chick Fil A is inventing new technology. They're, they're a chicken sandwich company, and they're inventing new technology to get you through the drive-through faster. Am I right? Like, these guys are out there. Now they've got from one line to two lines. They've got people with iPads that are standing out there. You can order it before you even get there, and they'll have it ready. Like, we have to have things immediate. Like, we don't have uh, any patience whatsoever. If you ever, if you're loading a, if you're somewhere on your phone, and you see your phone switch over from LTE to 4G, you're like, well, I don't have time for this 4G internet service. It's going to take like 15 seconds for me to load the page. I'll just wait till later, right? Like that's, that's how fast we assume things are. But there is important, important value in learning to be patient. And maybe that is what I'm trying to teach my children as I ignore them time after time, say like, I'm doing something. Or really what I say most of the time is, uh, go ask your mom because <laughs> whatever I say, it's probably not gonna be the right thing anyways, so you might as well ask mom if you can have that snack or whatever. So, <laughs> um, we were talking about me preaching in small group last night, and Hannah agreed to offer a lot of amens, so. <laughs> okay, so, so why, why do we need to, uh, to be patient? Here's the first thing. Be patient because I am doing something for you. I'm doing something for you. As Christians, we believe this very strongly to be true. The, the, um, Jesus, Jesus told us, that, you know, if I, behold, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, then I will, I will come back again. That where I am, there you may also be. And I don't know why that, like, uh, breaks me up so much, but, like, but that's what he said, and that's his promise. We don't believe that the timeline, we don't believe that time is, is uh, circular, right? We don't believe that everything repeats continuously, that we regenerate, that we refresh. We believe that we are on a linear path that we are heading towards a destination. And when he tells us to be patient, it's not just to be patient um, so that we can learn patience, even though that's a vital, important part of it. But it's, it's to be patient because he is doing something for us. He is going, like he said, when he went to the cross, he went to prepare a place for us. He went to do what we could not do so that we could spend eternity with him. And until that day comes, we must wait patiently. So it's just a good idea. Like, it's just a good idea to exercise your patience. Uh, my wife says I have an incredible ability to tune people out, and I think that's because I'm just practicing my patience, right? I'm just practicing, listening, and practicing patience. So be patient because I am doing something for you. And the next one, uh, 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 that, there, there we go. Be patient because I am doing something in you. And if we look at the next verse there, it says, uh, James, actually this is the beginning of James, it says, James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect 
and complete, lacking in nothing. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is what, this is what he's, he wants from us. This is what we're experiencing these trials and hardships for. And this is the other thing that is remarkably different about what we believe versus what people in the world believe. We believe that the um, end of this life is not just when we stop breathing. That's not when things are not over when we stop breathing. As a matter of fact, we believe that if, if it was true, if this life was all that there is, if this was the only thing we had, then there would be reason to be extremely sad when we lose someone, when we um, make mistakes, when something is broken in the world. But we don't believe that that is the end. And that's what makes us stand out uh, in our faith from many other types of faith that we believe there is an ultimate destination that we're heading toward and that God has an ultimate reward in place for us. So he is doing something in us. He is building steadfastness. And this growth that he is building us in us is not something that can be shortcut. If we look at um, the verse from there previously, um, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, second use of patient, until it receives the early and the late rains. Talking about the late rains from early in the season and the rains from late in the season. All of those are necessary. All of those are required. Um, there's no way to shortcut that growth process, except for genetic engineering. Because, like, have you seen the size of chicken breasts these days? Like, we got a, a package of chicken breasts, and, like, I think there was a chicken breast, and then there was larger than most turkeys that we see on the thing. I don't know how they do that. And they do it all probably in, like, you know, six weeks or something like that. It grows immensely fast. But there is nothing in our spiritual lives that can shortcut that process of what God is trying to do in us. So we must be patient. And then one of the other themes of James that is incredibly important is um, how we treat other people. And so um, the next one is, there we go. Be patient because I am doing something in them. Okay, be patient because I'm doing something for you. Be patient because I'm doing something in you. And then here's the last one. It may be the one that's most difficult for us to do. And that's be patient with other people. Okay, be patient with other people. God is doing something in those who are around us as well. Look at verse 9 there in chapter 5. It says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And this is a reminder that maybe the suffering that we're going through, whether it's suffering that is um, started from our own poor decisions or it's suffering that has nothing to do for, with something that we did, just the result of the fact that we live in a broken and falling world, or maybe we're suffering directly because of another person. And, and in those situations, that's where it's really, really hard to have patience with another person. But here's the thing that I would present to you, that maybe your own suffering is not only just for you. And I would never tell that to a person who is right in the middle of suffering and say like, well, you know, God has something good in store for this. I mean, think of the testimony that you're going to have when whatever this is, you know, all blows over. You know, like that's not necessarily what you want to hear. But, but before we encounter those things, it's good to remember that the suffering that we endure is not for, um, for nothing, but it is for his eternal purpose and what he's called us to be. Probably one of the, um, the biggest blessings uh, of our adoption was the, um, 
the work that God <clears throat> did in my life um, based on my, um, my value of my own comfort. So, so one of the ways that we can be patient with others is that we can, we can sacrifice our comfort for their betterment, for their eternal gain. This is one of the things that God showed me about our adoption. Like, you have no idea how sacred and special your own home is to you in the way that it is with the people that it is until an outside uh, force invades that, right? And I don't mean, I'm not mean to talk about option, adoption as like a negative term. It's just like when, when something upsets the rhythm in your house, when something changes, uh, especially if it's something that comes from outside that you're not familiar with, it just disrupts everything about how you do stuff. Like all of the little um, normal flow of your household is disrupted. And so what God showed me about our adoption is like in addition to all of the, the things that we can give, you know, financially or time-wise, one of the things that we can give, one of the things that we can sacrifice is our comfort. And in today's culture, we work very hard to retain our comfort. And comfort looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. You know, comfort for some people could be a lazy boy recliner. Comfort for some people could be gardening. Comfort for some people could be just hanging out and spending time with their family. And comfort for some people could be completely avoiding your family and not seeing them whatsoever. But it's really different for every person. For each individual, you have this level of like, well, these are the things that I need in order to feel safe, in order to feel happy, in order to feel good about who I am and where I am and what I'm doing. And God says, I can take that extra margin that you've put there for yourself, and not drag it away from you forcefully, but I can take that discomfort, I can take that comfort and turn it into something that is a seed planted in my kingdom. And that was one of the, like, the lessons that I learned through adoption is like our own comfort, not that it's necessarily bad, we need ways to relax, we need ways to unwind, all of those things are important, but you can invest that margin, you can invest that margin in a lot of different ways into people into things that make an eternal difference for the kingdom of heaven. So um, be patient because God is doing a work in them. The next one is progress over perfection. So first of all, embracing the trials. The second one is progress over perfection that James talks about. Um, if we look at verse uh, chapter 4, verses, yeah, verses 6 through 10. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify you, your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And let me tell you this. Progress over perfection is not God's secondary alternative, right? He didn't say, like, well, I would really like a, um, a, a group of people that are completely perfect and they don't ever sin. But since you guys screwed that up, I'll instead make do with this idea that, well, we've got to kind of work to get back to that perfection. That was not God's plan from the beginning. He is a redemptive father who takes the broken 
and he makes them into stained glass windows. He takes the things that are not right about us and he uses those things specifically to enhance his kingdom. So don't think that just because you haven't gotten to that place of perfection that you're not where God wants you. God loves you just as you are. He does not love some future version of you. He does not love some healthier version of you. He does not love some skinnier version of you. He does not love some version of you that spends more time in prayer, some version of you that spends more time in the word, some version of you that um, donates time and resources to all. God does not love that propaganda film of who you are. He loves you right where you are, completely and fully where you are. And that is what he wants from you. He does not want you at that place of perfection. He wants the journey with you. He wants to get there with you. Imagine, like, have you ever heard um, someone who is a, a, like, works out, a workout fanatic, right? Like, go to the gym every day, lift weights, um, exercise, all of those things. Have you ever heard a person like that, um, like, say, well, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm finished working out. I finally reached the body that I want, and now I will no longer work out. Is that how those things work? No, you'll, like, you'll, never, you'll never have a, uh, um, a gym that'll sign you up to say, like, look, we, you give us one year, and then you can just stop coming forever, right? We have this special payment plan where you just come for a year, and then you're done. You've finished working out for the rest of your life. You'd be happy and healthy without ever working out again. Maybe in some future technology, uh, that'll be a possibility. But that's not the point. That's not even the point. The point is the discipline. The point is the struggle. The point is the pushing of the heavy things to make progress continually. And some people I, that I see at the gym, I'm like, you are done. You're finished. You, you've, got, you've lifted all the weights. You've lifted them multiple times. And I don't think you need to lift them anymore. But they wouldn't say that. They would say there's a further ideal, and maybe this is man's vision of what's good, but, but in the same way, there's not like some end in our Christian walk where we've completely read and understood the Bible, where we've completely loved our fellow man, and where God is like, yep, you're done. If we ever did get to that place, it would just be like, you're gone from the earth. You would just be taken up in a chariot of fire or something like that, and I've never seen anybody do that. So obviously it's not a real frequent thing that happens, but progress is what God wants from us. And that is why there is no hierarchy of this person is more loved by God. This person is a better example of Jesus Christ. This person is more fitting um, for, to be a part of the kingdom of God. There's no hierarchy. It's all, are we moving? Are we moving towards him? Because that's what he wants. If you're moving towards him, you're making progress. You cannot possibly imagine how incredibly good eight-year-old soccer players can be unless you've watched a season of six-year-old soccer players. And you can't possibly imagine how incredible it is to see a pass from a six-year-old soccer player to another six-year-old soccer player where they pass and they dribble and they actually get the ball unless you've watched four-year-olds play soccer, right? Like all of these things are a progression. You don't look at one simple um, snapshot of a person playing soccer and say, like, oh, that's like the pinnacle of soccer. You've, you've already done it. There's an appreciation for every single step along the way. And when your heavenly father looks at you, he looks at you that way. He sees the progression that you've made, and that is beautiful to him. That is incredibly lovely to him. He wants to see you continually 
get better. And you can't imagine the satisfaction that God has with you in your walk with him now until you know that he loved you before you were at that place that you are even right now. So he's looking for progress over perfection. We look at those things in that verse that are called out. Resist the devil, submit to God, draw near to God, cleanse your hands. All of these things are active things that we do. It's not like a one-time thing that you do it and you're done. Draw near to God. I did that. I did that on Tuesday. I'm done for the week. No, that's not how that works. All of these things are things that we do continuously. Cleanse your hands. How many of you have told your kids to wash your hands? They're like, I did wash my hands. I washed them yesterday. I'm good. No, it doesn't work that way. And, and, And progress is what God is looking for, not perfection. Progress comes from hearing and doing. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I, I deal with this concept. This is sort of foreign to us to think about that you could look in a mirror and then like not look in a mirror and you kind of forget what you look like. None of us forget what we look like. You know, we, like, we have selfies all the time. We can take a picture. We all know what we look like. We don't forget what we look like. But I deal with this idea of like going away and forgetting in the work that I do um, full time. So I, I do, a lot of my work is I go in and I train people to use a software. And so I'll go in for like three days and spend like 24 you know, hours over three days teaching people how to use this particular software, showing them the value and showing them the application in the software. And then I'll get a call like six weeks later and they're like, uh, how do I turn this thing on? And you're like, have you been using it? Like, no, I just, I just now remembered that I took this training and I wanted to see if I could do that. And you're like, well, now we got to start all over again because you've completely forgotten everything that I just told you. And I don't say this, but what I'm thinking is you're a hearer, you're not a doer. <laughs> I would never tell you that. But, but this, is, this is what it's talking about. It's like you hear the word of God. You're sitting here, you're hearing the word of God, not from my mouth, but at least we know the word of God is the things that we're reading from the scripture. And we hear these things, and if we don't walk out the door and do these things, they just don't make any lasting impression on our minds and our hearts. So be doers of the word. That's the, the final part of progress over perfection. And the last one is this. The last thing that James calls us to is this idea of rejecting comfort and riches. So it says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good truth, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we live in this culture now, um, which you could think of as like a a selfie culture, like a navel-gazing 
kind of culture. What's interesting about the last sort of 15 years of technology is like people like me grew up with like sports stars and celebrities and um, you know um, act famous actors and stuff like that that we all looked up to that we all wanted to be like you know like like Mike if I could be like Mike I mean like we we grew up in this culture that idolized celebrity and fame and I think that's kind of always been true but especially when I was younger we had a lot more access to these people you know either you know through television or whatever like even before the internet um, like really there was a time before the internet existed and like we idolized this idea of fame and perfection and beauty and celebrity and so when this tool came along that was the World Wide Web to connect us all to one another we didn't just use it to connect to other people but we used it to sort of set up our own little kingdoms to make ourselves our own celebrity and you look on YouTube right now and that's what it is and I'm not saying anything derogatory about that although I think that like that's an aspect of the culture that we should really address but but I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having you know like a, an Instagram account or a Facebook or a Twitter account all I'm saying is that what we're using those for is to set up our own kingdoms we're, we're using those to make our own selves famous and I don't even think that that was the purpose of what the internet was really invented for anyways. It was made to connect people. And instead of connecting, we're growing our follower count, we're growing our likes, we're, our, our self-worth is based on comments and all of those things. And we're elevating this idea over connecting with other people. How, how often does this play out in conversations that you see online? First of all, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That doesn't really reflect the way that we're interacting with each other. And that's what James is calling us to do, is to reject this idea of comfort and riches and fame and celebrity and to be a servant of people. What is a sea that has no outlet? A sea that only things come into, but nothing ever goes out. Is it a sea that's full of life? Is it a sea that's flourishing? No, we have an example of that, and it's called the Dead Sea. It's full of dead things. It has so much sediment in it that you can, you can like float on the surface of the water. And there are not many things that live in the Dead Sea. And so when we think about all of the things that God has blessed us with, and I myself am incredibly blessed, not just to live in the greatest state in the country, but to live in Tyler, to have the opportunities that I have, I'm incredibly blessed to have those things. But not a single one of the blessings that God has given me, not a single one is just for me. You guys hear that? Not a single one of the things that you have is just for you. It is for his purposes and for his glory. And the minute you start to think about accumulating a lot of things, that's the minute that you start to die. The water in the Dead Sea, the only way that it escapes is through evaporation. And that evaporation does not take out all of the sediment. God does not want us to be a one-way street. He does not want us to be constipated, as it were, 
in our, in our lives. He wants us to be continuously taking in and giving out. Everything that we have, we should hold with open hands. And if he says, I need that for my kingdom, we should be the first to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, that is yours. And I give it up freely. So God does not want us to be a dead sea, but he wants us to be a river. He wants us to be continually immersed in the receiving of his great blessing and in the giving of blessing to other people. And let me encourage you with this, because some of you may have come in here today thinking, with the kind of week I had, with the kind of month I've had, maybe with the kind of year that I've had, I don't have very much to give. I have very little left. And I need the things that I have in order to survive. Let me remind you that your Father who is in heaven, not only is he the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills, but he has made you his sons and daughters. And you have every right to ask from him what you need, and he will give it to you. You have every right to ask from him if you are in need, and he will give it to you. You have access to that deep, deep well. And let me also remind you that you didn't do anything to deserve it, right? You didn't do anything to deserve access, that kind of access. But he has given it freely, and he continues to give it freely. And again, he continues to give it to not some future better version of us who understands the word better, but he has given it to us today and here. And he is ready for you to make use of that for his purposes and for his glory. One more, two more verses, then I'll be done. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first, oh, we already read this. Pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good truths, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you want more peace in your life? A harvest of peace, um, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. One more verse out of 2 Corinthians. I want to read a little bit more. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, starting at verse 10. And it says this, And in this matter I give my judgment. So this is writing to the church at Corinth. Um, this is helping them to understand their place and their position um, and, w- and where they are. And it says, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. For if readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, 
and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is calling back to the, um, to the Exodus. And when God brought down manna, and everybody's out there gathering manna, and like some people are fast and efficient, and they're able to gather a whole bunch of manna. And it said they had nothing left over. And then there were others among them who weren't quite as quick, who maybe struggled bending over. And it said they never lacked. And this is not, well, it is because God provided the manna and it was everything that they needed. Like it was literally the entire, um, entire nutrition that they needed. But it was because each of them was giving as he had able and was receiving as he had need. And I want to encourage you guys today that don't think of yourself right now as either in the condition of I, am in, um, I have uh, to give or I have needs. Don't, don't, don't segregate yourself into one of those two camps. I've got enough or I don't have enough. In many different situations of your life, you have enough. Maybe you don't actually have enough food, but you may have enough joy. Maybe in some situation in your life, you don't have enough um, comfort. But you may be able to offer to someone else understanding and healing. So don't put yourself in one camp, the camp of abundance or the camp of need. But God wants you to look within your own heart and see where do I have abundance that I can give and where do I have need that I need to receive. And it's so fitting that this idea of giving and taking and receiving and giving centers around food because this is a reminder of what God called us to do in remembrance of him. To not find an altar to not bow down before um, a sculpture. But he said, every time, as often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. Come together in communion with me and with the believers that are around you. So that's all I got. Let's do communion. We are going to come to the communion table this morning, um, and uh, let's prepare our hearts. You don't have to be a member here to fully participate. The Lord set this table um, for all of us, for you, and uh, he invites us to, uh, to uh, participate with uh, a genuine heart. And uh, let's just pause for a minute and let him uh, search us and uh, speak to us something going on in your life that you feel like you're far from him, just know this right now. He's not far from you. And he wants to restore not what you had with him. He wants to restore what he always had in mind for you to have with him. It's moving forward. 1 John 1 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Let's take full advantage of that right now.
condemnation lift from you. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses every sin. We thank you, Lord, that you were obedient even to death on a cross you did that, Lord, to please your Father. You did that also, Lord, to redeem your people. And I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would hear praises from the mouths of those, Lord, who were headed for destruction. And instead, we are worshiping you. And we are giving you the glory and the honor that you deserve. We were destined for death, and yet our hearts beat within us with new life. We pray, Lord, that you would take great delight in your people today and in this meal that we share together, which reminds us, Lord, of your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us. We do this, Lord Jesus, in remembrance and in anticipation because we know, Lord Jesus, that there is a day coming that defines our lives, and that's your return, and that's your reward. That's the completion of your promise to your people. This table, this table is a down payment. This table is a foretaste. Thank you. Amen. Can I have my elders uh, that are going to help serve? Let's all stand together. Thank you for this bread, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, you took ordinary bread like this, Lord, and you broke it, and you gave it to your disciples, and you said, this is my body. We receive that from you today, from your hand, just like they did. We rejoice to partake of this bread. And thank you for this cup, Lord, that you shared with your disciples. You said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant kingdom there will be no end we are destined to live with you 
and to enjoy you and to fellowship with you and to worship you forever. This cup represents the blood that made it possible. And we rejoice in that today, Lord. Bless every heart that comes to you today, honestly, Lord. Bless us, Lord, to serve you and send us forth from this place, Lord Jesus, with hope for a lost and a dying world. Send us forth, Lord Jesus, in power for those that we work with, those that we live with, Lord, those that are our families, our friends. Send us forth, Lord Jesus, with something to give, Lord, not just something to enjoy for ourselves. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come from the sides, and you're free to go after you've received